welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, Becca, we just had Sparkle, and I'm very proud of you and all the ladies that uh, worked so hard. We had an amazing conference, over 2,000 women here, back-to-back conferences. 2,000. Yeah, and it was an incredible weekend, and we were so thrilled to have Lisa Bevere with us, but we didn't get quite enough of her. Yeah, that's what everybody said. We did not get enough Lisa Bevere. She only spoke one time at Sparkle. So now, uh, River Valley, this weekend, we want you to open up your hearts to Lisa Bevere as she brings the word at River Valley Church. Come on, let's welcome Lisa as she brings the word and preaches this weekend. You know, but listen, your church not only feeds people, your church has partnered with Messenger International, and because of the generosity of River Valley, 63 million people have discipleship resources in 127 languages. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. You have been a Kingdom Builders partner with Messenger. We have been with them, and you support them every year, so you know you're doing that ministry to 63 million. Yeah. All right, it's all yours. Take it away. I am so excited. The men are here today. Wow. This is actually a little bit more of my home world dynamic. I am the mother of four men. I'm going to put their picture up really quick. Wow, it looks like I've got a dent in my head. Okay, there is my husband of, listen to this, 41 years, October 2nd. So we're we're coming up. I think we're going to make it. I think we're going to make it. Then I have my second-born son, Austin. He is so excited. His wife and him have a little girl named Scarlett who looks like Marlon Brando from The Godfather in that picture, but there she is. We are Italians, and we love pesto. So this little baby girl, they actually sent me a video of her drinking her salad dressing, and they said, we know now she has Italian genes. So there is Scarlett. And if you go back, that is Madeline. Madeline just got married to Alec. They got married about a year and two months ago, and they are so in love. They're so cute. She is an Australian. We imported an Australian daughter-in-law for Alec. My firstborn, Addison, and I actually have some of his books out there. He has a book on prayer called Words with God that is incredibly powerful. And he's married to Juliana and their four beautiful children. And then there is Arden and Christian who love Mac and Logan. And they have a little baby boy who I talked to on the phone today, Azariah. He is so cute. He was born with so much hair. He looked like he had a baby wig on. We were so happy that we finally had a grandchild that looked Italian. Like all of the other ones, I'm like, how are we getting all these Irish-looking grandchildren? We need some dark grandchildren. I'm failing the sunscreen test all of the time with my grandkids. So anyway, we've got Azariah. And I also, I told the women this, I feel like it's important for the men to hear it. Also, since I was with you guys, I got my Italian citizenship. So I have dual citizenship. And I know John was here a few weeks ago, but John is Italian and I am Sicilian. And there is a difference. Italians are known for feeding people. Sicilians are known for killing people. We are the ones that gave the world the mafia. You're welcome. So I have a little bit of a different approach in life than John has. Not wrong, just 
more, I don't know if I'm more direct, just more violent. Anyway, so I have a book out there called Godmothers. I'm going to be speaking out of it. Is there any woman that was not able to come to the conference and she really wanted to come? Okay, don't be, don't be shy. It's right here. I'm going to give you the book. I'm not going to throw it at you because it's hardback. Here you go. There you go. Awesome. And this is what we're going to be talking we're going to be talking about the concept of focus. And I love that you talk about how God sees us. Because the truth is that God actually focuses on each and every one of us. Somehow he can see all of us. And not just what we're projecting, but what we're actually wrestling with. I thought while well, you were talking about myself as a 21-year-old girl in a car. It was a Ford Granada. You have no idea how cool it was. Lipstick red white vinyl interior. Anyway, I'm sitting in my car and I'm crying and I'm saying, God, I don't know how to find you. And he made a way. Actually, John witnessed to me and I got born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, and that's why I married him. But that is not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm going to open up with a quote from Zig Ziglar. I like to quote him because it makes me sound intelligent. He says, I don't care how much power, brilliance, or energy you have, if you don't harness it and focus it on a specific target and hold it there, you're never going to accomplish as much as your ability warrants. Focus. Focus has the ability to multiply your capabilities. That is also why the enemy does not want you to focus. He wants you to be constantly distracted. But God is saying, people, it's time to focus. And what do we focus on? Well, Hebrews 12, 2, I'm going to read from the message, says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Can I just pause a moment? Too many people have lost sight of where they are headed. It says that we forget what's behind and we strain for what is ahead. And Jesus never lost sight of what was in front of him. John and I have been in the ministry for almost 40 years now which means we've seen a lot of people start smart and end up stupid. If you don't focus on Jesus, if you're too busy studying how everybody else didn't do it the way you think they should do it, you're going to get distracted. Study how he did it. Never lost sight where he's had that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, and whatever, and now he is there in the place of honor right alongside God. See, we have to be a people who spend more time looking at how Jesus did it than what everybody else is doing. But it's really difficult to be more like Jesus when you spend all your time looking at people on social media. You know, John and I have been around for a while, as I keep mentioning. And we were at one point, it's hard for people to leave, at one point we were 24. And there was this minister that came through the church 
And I was terrified of him. He was always talking about demons in the Philippines. He was always talking about casting out demons. And he told John, I want to take you and your wife to breakfast tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I'm like, well, then you might see a demon. A 7 a.m., but a 24-year-old could bring a demon out. I don't know. So, I mean, I literally had John pray for me. Let's renounce any demons I might have that I'm unaware of. He must see something on me. I had John lay his hands on me, all this stuff. So we go to this breakfast, and I'm, like, I'm just ready. I'm like, okay, tell, tell, tell me what I need to get rid of. And he just begins to talk to us. And pour out his heart. He was probably 80-something at the time. And he said, I see the hand of God on you guys' life. And he said, I want to tell you some of the things the Holy Spirit has shown me about the future. So many of the things he shared with John and I have happened. But I remember in that moment, he told us something that we thought, bless his soul, he's senile. He said, I see a day coming where people's lives will be controlled by a box they hold in their hands. And I'm thinking, a box. And he said, they'll be like, the box told me this. The and I was like, that's never going to happen. That is never going to happen. And yet, we all have a box that we hold in our hands. And do you know what I do with that box? At nighttime when I go to bed, I say, good night, pretend world and I put it down. It doesn't mean I don't care about the people. It means that the people that I can see are more important than the people I can't even find. They are saying people's posture are even going to change because they are spending so much time looking down. And yet God says, lift your eyes. I think that we need to be a generation. Phones are great but they are not great masters. You gotta put them down, you gotta walk outside, and you gotta look for the one who has sent messages through the stars, who says, I am a covenant-keeping God. We've gotta listen to what God is saying instead of constantly what people are saying. Romans 12:2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of you know we live in a day where a lot of things sound right, but feel wrong? And you're kind of like, I don't, I don't know why. That just feels wrong. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I had, an I had a little experience. Uh, I made the dangerous choice of walking into a coffee shop with a t-shirt that said, the future is male and female. You know, I don't even know what, yeah, there I am, just, just, just me. The future is male and female. And then uh, people came up to me, they thanked me for wearing the t-shirt, they wanted to buy the t-shirt, I wanted to sell the t-shirt because I had so many people asking me about the t-shirt. And they're like, thank you. Men were like, thank you. Women were like, I need to buy that. And I just remember, I thought, well, that's great. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put it up. So I put it up on my Instagram. And people got mad. How dare you co-sign 
with toxic patriarchy? How dare you co-sign with white males, people of power? That sounds like all race matters. That sounds like anti-LGTBQ. That sounds like you don't understand that women have been dominated by men forever. We thought you actually were an advocate for women. I was like, it sounds like biology. That's what this sounds like. This sounds like biology. And I had, I want to say like 972 comments on the future is male and female because there is no future without male and female. Nine, I mean, 972 comments and lots of people arguing with each other. And this is what I've learned. When something hits that wrong, it's not just something in the natural. It is something in the spirit. And I thought, what, you know, what I did was I inserted the word male into a quote that is the future is female. So I looked up, what is the origin of the future is female? Well, I guess it originated in 1975. It was a group called Labrys who believed that lesbian women should live completely separate from heterosexuals and homosexuals. Labrys is a double-headed ax. And they said the statement, the future is female, was a call to war and a spell. 25% of the proceeds go to Planned Parenthood. So, Hillary brought it back in 2017, and people were buying it for their kids, left and right for their daughters, women wearing it. I asked one of my grandsons, I said, how do you feel? What are your thoughts about a future as female? He said, I feel unnecessary. I'm sorry, as a mother of four men, I am not going to allow the next generation of men to continue to be emasculated or the women to be turned into men. We need male and female, and we need to be a discerning group of people, and we cannot be afraid of other people getting mad because we tell the truth. We need people who will tell the truth because the loudest people out there are causing chaos and confusion. So you've got to renew your mind. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. It is clear to us, friends. Can I just say it this way? It is clear to me, River Valley, that God not only loves you very much, but he has put his hand on you for something special. When the message we preach came to you, it wasn't just words. Something happened in you. You know, you can hear something and it can like go over you. But when something happens in you, the Holy Spirit quickens something. It says the Holy Spirit puts steel in your convictions. We need convictions, not opinions. We need convictions that are tied to the Word of God, that are tied to truths that we have known for a really long time. And you guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. We can't live by our feelings. Oh, listen, I just went through menopause. Let me just tell you about feelings. Let me just tell you. Oh, man, I heard things like, walk over to your husband and punch him in the face. And I thought, yeah, that's what I need to do. I was on the airplane. Why aren't they taking this plane off? Get that jet bridge. I heard yell, start screaming on the airplane. I was like, there is a crazy woman in my head. 
I cannot allow her to have a voice. Listen, this is a generation that thinks their feelings is the reality. No, feelings are good indicators, but they are terrible masters. And we need to stop being mastered by our feelings. Okay, my people like that. Awesome, okay. You paid careful attention to the way we lived among you and determined to live that way yourselves. In imitating us, you imitated the master. Although great trouble accompanied the word, you were able to take great joy from the Holy Spirit, taking the trouble with the joy and the joy with the trouble. So you already know, boy mom, I have three grandsons, three granddaughters. And so basically, I came up with my boys watching superhero movies. That's pretty much it. Like Justice League, and I can't remember what the other one is, because Marvel. Anyway, so everything. So like my girlfriends would be talking, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, that movie. Oh, I just like I started crying. And I'd be like, well, what do you think about Thor? I mean, I was always out of the loop on the chick flicks. I, I never caught anything they were saying. If I was on a flight, I tried to watch the girl movies so I could be part of the conversation. But my favorite incident on focus comes from the movie, The Man of Steel. And in the movie, The Man of Steel, Superman is a little boy. He's probably like seven or eight. He's in a classroom when all of his superpowers come into play. And his teacher is asking him a question that he knows the answer to, but he can't answer her because he no longer sees his teacher. He sees through her, his teacher. He can see her heart beating. He can see her ribs. The clock ticking on the wall is sensory overload. A girl banging her pencil on the desk is just too much. He runs out of the room, locks himself in a closet, and when they can't get him out, they call his mother. And when his mother shows up, he says, Mom, the world's just too big. And she says, then make it smaller. You have every right to edit your life. You have every right to make your world smaller. And don't mistake smaller for less. It will be more focused. You will focus on what is important to you. And I'm just going to tell you, I get the draw. I get the draw. I can post something on Instagram and all of a sudden 150 likes. I'm like, yeah, people think I'm profound. And then my husband comes home. He's like, so what's for dinner? I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm busy being profound right now. People are liking this. I've had five people share it. No, those are not real people. My husband is a real person. And we've gotten confused between transactional and transformational relationships. Transformational relationships are the people committed to our growth. They're the ones that know our strengths and our weaknesses. They're the ones that are in our corner. That's like a boxing analogy where somebody is saying, I can't do it, I can't do it. And they're like, yes, you can. We're gonna tape you up and you're gonna get back into the ring. They are people that are always for us. When we mess up, they're there. And when we're at the high places, they're there. Then there's transactional. Transactional people are for you when you can do something for them. It doesn't make them wrong. I mean, I'm glad if I give money at a certain store, I get something. That's a transaction, right? 
But that's not a good basis for all of your relationships. Your relationships should be the people that are your family, that is your spouse, that is your friends, that is your neighbor, not the people who are strangers. And you can't allow the hurtful words of random strangers to wound you. You cannot give them that much weight in your life. They don't know you. They don't know you at your best. And they will always be looking for another reason to point out somebody's worst to make themselves feel better. And your inability to connect with everything is not a failure. It is a fail-safe. And God is saying to each and every one of us, edit your life. I have a, um, I have a manuscript due September 31st. I hope there's 31 days in September. There might only be 30. I don't know. Anyway, I have a manuscript way past due. And I am going to turn it in, and it is going to be a mess. But I have an angel editor. She's like, just send it to me. And she takes it, and she reorganizes it. See, John is disciplined and organized. He has a chapter one, a chapter two, a chapter three. I have a thought, and another thought, and then another thought. And I don't know where the thought goes. I don't know if that's the last thought for the book, or the first thought for the book, or the middle of the book. John's already asked me like five times, what's your word count? I said, I have no idea. I'm scared. I'm scared to do the word count. He's like, Lisa, Last time you were at 45,000, I think you're done. I'm like, I'm not done saying things. I'm not done. He's like, do we need to take away your laptop? Like, it's really that bad. Uh, so, you know, I need an editor. I need an editor. The Holy Spirit can be your editor. You need to invite him into your life so you're not missing the important things because of all the peripheral things. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says, My dear friends, this is now the second time I've written to you both letters, reminders to hold your minds at a state of undistracted attention. Who is responsible for holding your mind is you. But it's crazy what goes on now. I'll have people tell me, oh, yeah, I try to read my Bible and I just fall asleep. But man, they can watch eight episodes of something on Netflix and stay awake. But you know what? They're being entertained rather than engaged or educated. We have to be a people who have a high alert sense that God is getting ready to do something. We fight about the non-essentials, but we should be focused on uniting around the essentials. So I've got a little list here. The first one may sound self-serving, but I'm just going to share it with you anyway. Non-essential issue, whether women should preach or not. The gender of the person preaching is a non-essential. What is essential is that Jesus Christ is preached. So it doesn't matter about age, it doesn't matter about race, it doesn't matter about gender, it better matter what you're preaching. And we get all caught up about, wait, a woman shouldn't be in a pulpit. Well, that's what you guys have a table. A woman shouldn't be in a pulpit. I've literally had people say to me, a woman in the pulpit with the name of Jesus in her mouth 
is a witch. And I'm like, okay, so what you're saying is my gender is more powerful than the name of Jesus? And when did this become the magic thing? Like, they didn't even have this during Jesus' day. And so we need to stop fighting about can women preach or women not preach? That's just, that's a non-essential. Jesus, we need to preach Jesus. And when Jesus tells all of us to go into the world and make disciples, we need to be witnesses of who he is and what he's done in our life. Non-essential, how we worship, how. When I say how, I should say style of worship. There are some people like, oh, no, musical instruments, Satan. Then there's other people like, if we do not have an electric guitar and a bass guitar and two drum sets and 25 smoke machines, this is just not filled with the Holy Spirit. Then we have people like, no, it has to be only organs. So there's all these different things. The style is a non-essential. Who we worship is the essential. Non-essential, how we look. Non-essential, it just really doesn't, Matter, how you present yourself. Essential is how you live. How you live. Non-essential are achievements. Okay, I have one book that is a New York Times best-selling book. Do you know what happens when you have a New York Times best-selling book? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely, absolutely nothing. No one called me. Uh, nobody sent me a certificate. I didn't get like anything. I mean absolutely nothing. What if I'd spent my whole life like, if I could just get on the New York Times, like it's kind of the pinnacle on, on a book. You know how I found out? It's like 11 o'clock at night. My boys banged on the door. I thought someone had fallen down the stairs. I opened up the door. There's two grown men in boxer briefs standing there. And one of them says, you're a New York Times bestselling author. And they pick me up, jump up and down with me and throw me on top of John and leave. That's it. I call John the next, I mean, I call my publisher the next day. I'm like, okay, two immodestly dressed men came in my room and told me I was in New York Times. Is that true? And they're like, oh yeah, it is. Sorry, you're number seven. So like it, it's like nobody cares. And think about this. When I get to heaven, do you think Jesus is going to be like, I'm so proud of you for all the books you sold. That is so good. I'm just Lisa, way, way to be a bestseller. No, he really doesn't care about the books I sold. He cares about the books we sow. Because heaven has a very different economic structure than we have. Non-essential. This one's a hard one for me. Opinions. I feel like other people's opinions are non-essential. I feel like my opinions, they're essential. My opinions are essential. I, I So many times I have such great opinions about things that I so bad want to say back to people or put up on social media. And I'm like, I need to, I have an opinion on this too. And so I'll type it out and then I show it to my husband and he'll say, don't do it. I'm like, but tell me I'm right. He's like, I'm not going to tell you're right. Do not put that up. And then I'm like, God, do you agree with me? Are you in agreement that this is a good opinion? You know, he actually never says he is. He never says, I love your opinions, Lisa, because my opinions are non-essential. The truth is there are things I would have punched you to defend 10 years ago that I don't even believe anymore. It's not the essentials. It's like non-essentials. I don't know what would be. Maybe it was 20 years ago. Listen, we went through a weird time period 
where we were way oversaved, and I had to talk my husband into a dirt devil uh, hand vac. So like this, this would be, that would be an example. Okay. Sancho is the truth. And how many of you know the truth is not an opinion, and the truth is not something that changes? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. Not essential. Our identity and culture. Hey, we were cool for just a very short amount of time. We're not cool anymore. You better stop caring about your identity and culture because the essential is our identity in Christ. And then the last one I'm going to highlight, I have a whole list in Godmothers, is our unity of doctrine. Unity of doctrine. Like the difference in doctrine would be like, when is the rapture going to happen? You know, there's people that are like, oh, pre-trib for sure. Then there's the mid-trib. Then there's the post-trib. Then there's the people that don't even believe in a rapture. Guess what? That's, an, that's doctrine. And none of us are going to actually find out till it happens. This is an area where John and I disagree, and I'm right. But anyway, <laughs> unity of doctrine is not going to happen, but unity of faith is. Where have we placed our faith? You know, so that has what we have to stand. So we have to collectively decide that we are going to stop fighting about the non-essentials and unite around the essentials. So I lost an eye to cancer when I was five. And so anytime I have like a blind person in the Bible, they're like my people. And so, you know, when I was raised, there was a big Bible with gold letters and it was open, it was like this big, it was open, it had like a ribbon divider. You were not allowed to touch it because it was holy and you were not. And so when I had children, I didn't want them raised with that. I wanted it to be active. And so when I put them to bed at night, we would act out all of these different Bible stories. And one of my favorite ones to act out was the story of blind Bartimaeus. And in this story, we've got a blind man sitting outside of Jericho, and Jesus is getting ready to leave the city and go to Jerusalem. This is his last big meeting. And we come in at Mark 10, verse 46, and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard... It was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Mercy on me. So he heard Nazareth, but he cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Why? He cried out all the more because he knew the people telling him to be quiet did not have his answer. They were okay with him staying a blind beggar. They also were troubled that he was calling Jesus the Messiah. That someone who couldn't even see but only heard that Jesus was walking by recognized Jesus as the Messiah where those who had seen him, touched him, witnessed his miracles were calling him Jesus of Nazareth. And you know they said no good thing came out of Nazareth. Cried all of the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? 
And the blind man said to him, I want to recover my sight. I always find this entertaining too. Like, Jesus, he's blind. Like, why are you asking what, what he wants? Like, did you not notice that he was blind? But Jesus will always say to us, what do you want? Because he understands that when he answers certain prayers in our lives, it means some things are going to change in our life. And I believe that we in the church have been distracted by so many things in the last few years that we, it's time that we recover our focus, that we recover our sight, that we begin to look at Jesus again. You know, I love watching different conservative news things. I love how they expose things that are wrong, but they never redirect people to the one who makes everything right. Jesus is the focus, not pointing out what is wrong. Jesus is the focus. So I want you guys to stand to your feet and I'm gonna pray over you because I believe with all of my heart that River Valley is getting ready to enter her best days. I believe that people are going to be desperate for truth and that you're going to have the right focus, that you're going to be able to see what other people's miss, that you're going to connect with people that are hurting in such a way that you can actually say to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they're going to say, I, I need to know this one. I need to know that he sees me and that he loves me. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna pray this prayer of scripture over you and I want you to repeat it. I want you to say Luke 4 verse 18. I want you to say the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and to announce this is God's year to act. God is anointing you to have focus and prophetic insight, and he is saying to each and every one of you, this is your year to act. I said it to the women and I'm gonna say it to all of you. There are things that were in your heart, there were dreams, there were strategies, there were hope, and then COVID happened. And in 2020, people put their lives on pause. And when things go on pause, people either think, well, I'm just gonna reorganize some things. Or they begin to doubt the things that God whispered to them. And what I've seen is some people buried their dreams in 2020. And God is saying, it is time that you unearth that dream because he has need of your gift. He has need of your sight. He has need of your talent. He has need of your strategy. He needs you to unearth that and he needs you to plant it. He needs you to put it into a soil of faith and hope. He needs you to have an expectancy to water that. I love that this church is so generous. I love that there is the hand of God on your life to feed those that are desperate for the word of God and desperate just for daily bread. I love that. But to sustain that, God's going to have to multiply you.
So you have to be focused on the right thing and not divided by anything. So may God give you a prophetic anointing and a strategy from heaven, the strategies that need to be released to see the things of God come forth in this next season. I speak to the gifts. I speak to the seeds. I speak to the talents that you buried in discouragement. And I thank you, Father, that you are replanting them in their hearts right now with expectation and hope in Jesus' name. And everybody agrees, say, amen, amen.